Well, if you want to open your Bibles, we're going to pick up on our study. We'll be in Romans chapter 12. Let's go ahead and, and pray tonight before we get started. God, thank you so, so, so much, God. It's, it's just a joy to be in your house, Father. It's an exciting time, God. I thank you for how the Holy Spirit just starts getting excited within us before church. And, Lord, there's just such an energized feeling to be able to come in, to be able to look into your word. There's, Lord, even on Wednesday nights, Lord, tonight, even probably more so that we come in in small in numbers, God, it doesn't change anything. It's the gathering of the family. It's the gathering with you. It's the gathering for worship. God, I just thank you so much for being so good. Lord, you've heard the prayer request. You know the need, Lord, of the high school student that was hit, of Mr. Monk and the wreck, Lord, and, and patrols. You know all, all of the prayer needs, God. Lord, you said if we'd be faithful to pray, Father, that you'd hear our prayers, God. And, Lord, we're praying right now that you would, you would reach down and touch each situation. God, I pray you'd be in their midst. I pray you'd give healing. Lord, I pray tonight you'd meet with us as we look into your word. Father, teach us something. God, I just, we share a likeness, and you know that, that when we walk out of this door, we want to have heard something from you. We want to have been in your presence. We want to have learned something from your word that when we walk out of here, we can serve you better than we did before we came in. God, I pray you teach each one of us something. God, we love you. You've been good to us. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 12, verse number 10. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. We looked at those two last week. And the slothful in business we looked at last week, that's not talking about your earthly business. That's talking about our business within the church. That's talking about us not being slothful, but being fervent and loving and caring for one another and taking care of one another, serving the Lord. Verse number 12, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. But then in verse 14, he changes gears. Bless them which persecute you. Uh-oh. Boy, we were doing good there for a little bit. All we had to do last week was love each other, and that's enough. I mean, all we had to do is keep love right inside these four walls and just love the Christian and the brothers and sisters in Christ. That was challenging enough, but he changes gears on us tonight. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice. Weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Why does he put that in there? Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, right? Yeah, that's not the whole picture. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. I'm going to stop right there because I already bit off more than we can chew in one night anyway. You can be seated for those of you standing if you want to. Last week, we ran out of time. We, we were looking there at verse 11 and 12. Paul says that we are to be patient in tribulation. We looked at the fact as we were closing last week that the only way to heaven is to go through this life. You, you can't get to heaven without going through this life. And we're told in the Word of God that in this life, there will be tribulation. Amen? Jesus said that we will have, we will endure, we will go through tribulation. So how are we supposed to be patient in tribulation? 
Paul says, by continuing instant in prayer. It's Wednesday night, so we all already know this. Tribulation drives us to pray. Tribulation pushes us to prayer. We might get a little laxed on the bright sunny days. We might get a little laxed up on the mountaintop. We might get a little laxed in prayer when everything's going good, but let it go south. Let, let somebody in the family get sick. Let the finances get a little tight and can't get bills paid. So tribulation drives us to pray, but tribulation also adds passion to our prayer. It's one thing to pray on the mountaintop, and it's, and it's the right thing to pray on the mountaintop. You pray on the sunny days to be prepared for the stormy days. You can't wait till the storm gets there to pray. You won't be prepared for the storm. But, but the tribulation adds passion to our prayer. When, when we're in a tight spot, we pray more fervently. We, we pray more effectively. We, we pray with more passion. You know, when the bill's due tomorrow and the money ain't in the bank today, the prayer gets a little more fervent tonight. Things start tightening up. When, when somebody's really sick and really needs a touch, or like Robin was talking about, I didn't tell the whole story, but you got a wife expecting her husband home any minute, she's got dinner, and she don't realize that the accident's already happened. Somebody else has already seen about it on Facebook. She ain't seen it yet. When you get that kind of phone call, prayer becomes top priority. Everything else goes away. Everything else is standstill. So, so it is tribulation that adds passion and that makes us more consistent in our prayer. Prayer is needful at all times. Anybody say amen. You ain't got nothing else to do right in your car. They won't let us be on our cell phones anymore. You can't even touch it, so we might as well go back to what we used to do, and that's pray while you're driving. If you live in this town, you better pray while you're driving because we're about the only ones around here that deserves a driver's license. They ought to take everybody else's and we'd be fine. But if you drive around here and anywhere north of here, Carrollton, Heard County, anybody Heard County? Heard County, I was going to take that out if you was. Atlanta, Fulton County, you, you drive anywhere. We need to be praying while we're driving, but prayer is always needful, but especially in times of tribulation. You'll never be in a tribulation that God doesn't know you're there because he allowed you to get there. If he allowed you to get there, he's got something planned. He's got something planned. He says everything is for our good and for his glory. So if we pray him, if we pray to him and praise him when it don't make sense to praise him, he's going to get glory out of that somewhere, somehow. So it's always right to pray. John Gill, talking of prayer, says, This should be made without ceasing. Saints should watch unto it with all perseverance. Men should pray always and faint not. Never give out, never give over, never be discouraged. Albert Barnes, another, another one of the, the, the guys that, that I read some of his commentaries, he says, in order to discharge a right, some of these guys talk some of that old English stuff, in order to discharge a right, the duties of the Christian life, and especially to maintain a joyful hope and to be sustained in the midst of afflictions, it is necessary to cherish a spirit of prayer and to live near God. Now, there was another quote that he wrote that, that he had in there, and I didn't write that quote down, so I'll just kind of paraphrase it for you. It's not going to be easy, and it may not even be possible to maintain a positive Christian attitude during the storm if you don't have a consistent prayer life. I need to paraphrase that again. I don't remember exactly how I put it, 
Yeah, if y'all ever read some of them guys' commentaries, it's kind of that old language. You're like, what'd he say? But to back up and read what he actually says is, it will be very difficult, and it may not even be possible to maintain a positive Christian attitude during the storm if you do not have a consistent prayer life. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Verse 13, he says, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. That, that, that distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality, that, that's not waiting for someone to come to you looking for help. That is looking for someone to help. That's not waiting for somebody to come up and ask you, do you have a dollar you can loan them? Do you have, uh, could you give them something for a meal? They want something. That's not waiting for, for somebody to come to you. That is you getting up in the morning and saying, Father, show me somebody today that I can be a blessing to. It may be money, it may be food, it may not be. But what that means is when you get up every day, Father, maybe they go to church with me. Maybe they go to Callaway. Maybe they go to Rosemont. Maybe they go down to Concord. Maybe they're at a church in another town. They're brother and sister in Christ. I don't know them. Something's falling hard times on them. Show me somebody today. Put, put somebody in front and, and make me to know that when they're there. See, it's not waiting for somebody poor on the side road to come ask you for help. It is you eagerly asking God to use you to help somebody else. That's a little too hard for Wednesday night, ain't it? I guess y'all can't preach it on Sunday morning. Y'all so quiet in here. It is pursuing opportunities to help others. We just talked about prayer. Right now, there's somebody facing the trial of their life. Right now, there's somebody needs a prayer answered. And right here in this room is the answer to their prayer. You are somebody's answered prayer. Anybody ever been through a trial and somebody showed up right when you needed them? Somebody was a blessing to you. Somebody came when you... They were the answer to your prayer. You are the answer to somebody's prayer. If you will wake up in the morning, God, use me today. Show me somebody. Use me to be a blessing to somebody. Let me be a, dark, a, a light in somebody's dark world. Let me be what somebody needs. Just use me, whatever it takes, and, and then be open and sensitive to the Holy Spirit. That's what he's talking about here, distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality. That don't mean if somebody comes, well, now i got to give him something. That means giving to it in the morning, getting up and praying, God, use me today. It may be big. It may be little. But all prayers need to be answered. And, and God uses his people. We looked at it Sunday, and they sang about it in the song. If we are the body, where are the arms? Why are the arms reaching? Why are the hands touching and doing? We are the body of Christ. If we are the body of Christ, if we are the hands and feet of Jesus, somebody's going through a trial, we are the answer to their prayer. Amen? Verse number 13 or chapter 13 of Hebrews, verse number 1 says, Let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Abraham did it. I told you all about the man at Home Depot. I still believe he was an angel. That joker vanished after we talked. I thought I was doing something for somebody. He started quoting scriptures faster than my mind could even think. You never really know who it is that you're talking to. You never know really who it is. Abraham just 
fixed a meal for a couple of traveling strangers. But they turned out to be angels from God. All he was doing is the stories in Genesis chapter 18. You can go read it. You don't have to take my word for it. He was just taking care of somebody. He was just fixing a meal for some, for some wayward travelers. But they turned out to be angels. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus says, well, Jesus doesn't say it, but it's talking about Jesus. Matthew chapter 25, verse 32 says, Before him shall be gathered all nations. He shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. So I hate doing this part. I've done it before, but I'm sorry. Y'all the ones decided where to see it. Don't have nothing to do with me. He shall set the sheep on his right hand. And all the goats on his left. Now, that's better. That, that take y'all out. I, keep, I hate having to split y'all down the middle. So the sheep on his right hand, goats on the left. Then shall the king say to them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Why? For I was unhungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee unhungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we, saw we thee a stranger and, and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? The king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto the least of one of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. That's it a judgment. You know what that says? God used me to be a blessing to somebody. It's the hands and the feet. It is fulfilling that. Many people today are living the results of their disobedience. Let me narrow that down and get a little more in the house. Many Christians today are living the results of their disobedience. Sometimes we are where we are of our own makings. God would have bailed us out many times. God's given us things to do. We said, mm-mm, mm-mm, that ain't me. God, God's given us opportunities. God's tried to do things. God's given us things that we ought to be involved in. God spoke to us. God told us we need to be reading the Bible more, but yet we continue not to read it. God's told us we need to have a better prayer life because he wants a relationship, but we continue not to do it. A lot of Christians are, are living the results of their disobedience. Now, I know it's Wednesday night. I know I'm preaching to the choir, so that means I expect a lot of amens while I'm preaching stuff like that. Everybody ought to be, be, ought to be agreeing. Preach that again Sunday morning. There won't be an amen in the house. The reason people can't pay their bills is because they don't pay their tithes. The reason people can't pay their bills is because they don't pay their tithes. God says, God says if you're not paying your tithes, you're robbing God. You're a thief. You're not a thief stealing from me or from one of us. You're stealing what belongs to God. He said it himself. The first 10% is the tithe, and, that, and it doesn't have to stop at 10%. It's all his anyway. He only asked for 10% of it back, and he lets us keep 90% of it. So, so the reason that people can't pay their bills is because they don't pay their tithes. But the reason a lot of people can't afford to eat and they can't afford groceries is because all, all they ever think about is theirself. They don't ever think about helping somebody else. They don't ever think about somebody in need. They don't ever think about contributing to the food closet. Listen, the easiest thing you can do in the food closet is put five bucks in it. If you really want to be involved, come work in it. Come hand out boxes of food. Come prepare meals. I get an amen from the director of the food closet. 
She's got a really good team, but she'll take all the help she can get. We, we can hand out even more. So, so people, you, you remember I mentioned it Sunday morning? I told you I, was, I had it for Wednesday night. I already had it on my mind because I had studied this last week. We didn't make it this far. But remember me talking about the farmer Sunday morning? Everybody wonder why is he so wealthy? Why do your fields always produce so much? Why do you have so much? And he said, well, all I know is I keep trying to help people. I keep giving everybody a scoop. I give him a scoop. I give him a scoop. I give him a scoop. And every time I take a scoop out, God puts a scoop in. But God's scoop's a lot bigger than my scoop. The bottom line, you just can't outgive God. Nobody following God's plan for giving can ever come up short. Here's the problem with a lot of Christians. They're discouraged because there's no money in the bank. Pfft. Money in the bank don't do you no good. Money in the bank says, I have the money so I don't have to pray. Money in the bank says everything's fine, I don't have to worry about it. No money in the bank bills do says, God, I need your help. But if you truly are serving God, you truly are doing the things that God said. You truly are living a giving spirit. And you truly are praying. You truly are paying your tithes. You will not go hungry. I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor a seed begging bread, nor will we ever. So, so you, you can never outgive God. It may look like you're going to go broke, but God's always there on time at the right time. Four days late, maybe. But it's only four days late in our world, amen? Right on time in God's world. Paul here is teaching to the church. This part of the letter, he is writing to Christians and Christians alone. He says that a Christian loves their brothers and sisters in Christ, and it shows. If it don't show that we love each other in here, it sure ain't going to show out there in the world. If there ain't no hugging and loving and no com camaraderie here, if you can't love the people here while you're in here, you sure ain't going to love them out there. And if you can't love the people here while you're in here, you're going to hate the verse we're fixing to get to. Because that's about as easy as it's going to get. A, a true Christian is always graceful towards brothers and sisters in Christ. Always hospitable, always giving, always concerned about others, distributing to the necessity of saints, saints given to hospitality. <sighs> no, nope, we ain't out of time. I'm going to have to read it. I was hoping I could put it off a couple of weeks, but we still got time. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. So not only are we to be in harmony with one another, who are washed in the same blood, going to the same heaven because we got the same Savior, but he says we're supposed to be hospitable to those who are not yet Christians. See, that, that's a much better way of looking at people if you'll just remember this right here. We look at them as sinners, of such were some of ye. We look at them as the world, of such were some of ye. We look at them in all their, their vulgar of such for some of ye. But here, if we would look at them in this picture, those who are not yet Christians. Those who are not yet Christians who are doing all of their ridiculous things right now, will be doing their ridiculous things Saturday night, get up hungover Sunday morning, ain't going to be anywhere near a church. They're going to be doing something vulgar on Sunday while we're coming to praise and worship. God loved that one so much that Jesus Christ climbed up on a cross, died for him while he was yet still a sinner. God loves him that much. We're supposed to love him that much. That's what he's telling us. We're supposed to love those who are not yet Christians because we can love them to Christ. We cannot force them to Christ. But we can love them to Christ. That's an important 
terminology those who are not yet Christians. We have to build a relationship with those people. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. Does not mean isolate yourself from them. You can't let your light shine if it's under a bushel basket. You can't let your light shine in the dark if you don't go into the dark where it's at. So we can't turn the light on in a dark place if we keep our place. Hey, don't be turning me off. I'm preaching. I ain't even got excited yet. I'm still inside my barbed wire fence. I ain't even got in trouble with Larry yet. I'm staying right here in my little zone. Paul has some things here to say about our relationship with those who are not yet Christians. We're to be sympathetic, understanding. We're, we're to be careful about our attitudes towards them. It's important to remember they're not the enemy. They're just in the same place we were before the cross. They're not the enemy. Satan is. Satan's out there, but our God is greater than the enemy. So it's not them. We, we get on people. When they start talking about us, they say something to us, derogatory, boom, they're the enemy. No, they're not. No, they're not. We're the, they're the one that we're supposed to let our light so shine among men that they may see our good works. Anybody can fire back an insult with an insult. It takes a dedicated, well-prayed-up Christian to fire back love against hatred. Amen? Hope one day I can get there. So... He, he says that we're to do our best to live a Christian lifestyle in front of them. At no point do we ever fail to maintain our loyalty to Christ, but we are to develop friendships with the lost. We need to have some type of relationship with them if we're going to be able to reach them. It, it may be points of contact like work. Maybe somebody that you work beside is the one that grates on your nerve and their filthy mouth gets on there all day. Well, if you will put as much scripture in their ears as they do filthy mouth in your ears, they're either going to get away from you. They're going to have to give. Something's got to give. But if you don't like what they're saying, just put a little scripture into it. But at all points, we, we have to love them. It, it may be like hobbies that we have. Maybe somebody likes hunting, fishing, golf, something that you can do together with them. It gives you an opportunity to build a relationship that they might see your light in some things. Can I tell you? Let, let me give you Paul, Paul Little, bro, I put, let me just read what Paul Little said, and then I'll give you the rest of the story. How about that? He says, we're amused by simple Simon who fills his barrel with water. He drops his line in, and he's saddened because he doesn't catch any fish. We think, how stupid can you be? Fish don't come jump in barrels. You have to go to where the fish are. Yet it's exactly what we do in evangelism. We set up barrels. We call them churches. We set up barrels. We fish in these barrels, and we expect the fish to come jump in the barrel, and we're saddened when they don't. If we're going to reach the lost for Christ, we've got to fish somewhere besides in the aquarium. If you're going to reach the lost, you got to fish out there where the fish are. And if you fish where the fish are, there's sharks out there too. Sometimes you get bit. That's just the nature of the beast. But, but we, we develop the church. We fill the barrel up, and we come in here, and we fish in the aquarium, and we wonder why we don't catch anything. Jesus said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. If we follow Christ, we're going to do more than hold down pews on Sundays and Wednesdays. If we follow Christ, we're going to be a light in the workplace, a light in the school place, a light in the community, a light at the ball field, a light at the lake. Everywhere we go, let, let God's light, Christ's light, shine through us. Lord, help us. Jesus taught us with his own life that we have to go where the fish are. 
I just gave you the verse from Corinthians, come out from among them, be ye separate. That just means we're supposed to be different. Of such were some of ye, but ye have been washed. But ye have been sanctified. But ye have been justified. We're not like that anymore. Now we're supposed to be a light, but it's still our job to, to build these relationships that we might reach them. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Many times in Paul's letters, and especially here in this, this particular part, he uses a lot of what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. He's not just bringing out stuff. He's bringing a lot of what Jesus himself taught in the Sermon on the Mount and, and putting it here. And the, the word that he uses here for bless, when, when he tells us bless, bless and curse not, it's the same word where we get our English word eulogy. Now, if I were to say eulogy, what's the first thing you're going to think of? A funeral. Right out of the bat, somebody's going to give a eulogy. Well, honestly, eulogy has absolutely nothing to do with a funeral. I got curious why eulogy, why would it use this? Well, we get it, so I looked it up. That word eulogy, it actually means to speak kindly of someone or to speak well of someone. We don't have to wait until somebody dies to speak kind about them. We don't have to wait until a funeral to speak well about them. What Paul says here, we are to speak well of those who persecute you. Speak well of those who curse you and curse them not. Paul says that should be our daily habit, to speak well of others, even those who don't speak well of us. Hatred is to be countered by love. Bitterness is to be countered by kindness. Harsh words are to be countered by kind words. I go ahead and tell you that a daily prayer life and a daily reading life, you're not going to pull off any of those. Yeah, it got quiet here on a Wednesday night right there. The enemy can argue with the best of them. The enemy is ready for the fight. And the enemy is strong enough to win the fight. What he cannot win is when you approach it back with love. It completely disarms hatred. They come looking for a fight. You don't put it there. They have no defense about that. People go, well, I've tried that and it don't work. Well, I don't think you've tried it very much. I think the biggest problem with two men is like me. When somebody got something harsh to say, love ain't exactly what comes trickling back out. D.L. Moody, in one of his sermons, he, he's giving a, a hypothetical picture. He's talking about Jesus after the cross. You all know after the cross, he went with Jesus, right? You go tell the disciples and Peter. And, and D.L. Moody gave a hypothetical situation of Jesus talking to Peter after the resurrection. He says, go find that man that stuck the spear in my side. And tell him that I love him. Tell him there's a quicker way to get to my heart. He said, go find that man who placed that crown of thorns on my head. Tell him that I love him. Tell him that it is my desire to give him a crown of life. While he's hanging on the cross, Jesus displayed this, this character of loving those who spitefully used him. He prayed for those all around him, and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He, he prayed for all of them. He opened the gates of paradise to a thief hanging on a cross at the last moment. 
because of what he did on the cross, because of love that poured out, because he never got bitter, because there was any hatred, they spat on him, they plucked his beard, everything they did, he showed love and compassion. And this man over here, and this one's mocking him, and this one over here just says, Lord, remember me when you come into the kingdom, and then he's compassionate to him, and he says, today you'll be with me in paradise, and, and he's compassionate to all those around here. And because of that, not only was a Jew on a cross saved right then, but the centurion, a, a Gentile, a Roman soldier was saved because of what he saw. He was prepared for the battle. He was a ruthless man. He knew how to crucify people. He was mean to the core. He had no defense against the love that he saw in Jesus Christ. It caught him off guard. The Word of God says, Matthew 27, 54, when the centurion and they that were with him, watching Jesus, saw the earthquake and those things which that were done, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. The enemy is prepared for the battle. They just were disarmed by the love of Christ that, that never failed. Christ's policy of loving those who persecuted him and loving those who despitefully used him and spake all manner of evil against him, Christ's policy to love them won at Calvary. That was a great victory because he never stopped loving people. Amen? The, those two people that day, they became the first fruits of the cross. I'm very thankful to be another one of the fruits of the cross. Anybody thankful? You glad you're a fruit of the cross? I'm thankful to be one of the, one of the fruits of the cross. But we still have to, to, to do things in common with those who are not yet Christians to, to, to build the relationships. Verse 15, it says, Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Nothing that Jesus did was ever by accident. He never got anywhere by accident that he shouldn't have been. He never did anything by accident. He was in the exact right place always. It's no accident that in John's record of the life of Jesus Christ that his first recorded miracles at a wedding and his last recorded miracles at a funeral. It's no accident that the first one is at one of man's most joyous occasions and the last one is one of man's saddest occasion. In the first one, Jesus rejoiced with those who rejoiced. He wept with those who wept. There's an author, a theologian, his name F.W. Borum. He said that life is like a game of dominoes. Anybody play dominoes? Anybody play dominoes? Yeah, I don't. I don't know if I've ever played, but I learned a little bit about playing right here, reading what he says. He says, the highest art lies in matching your companion's move. And the player, oh, I like this part. The player who is left empty-handed wins. But we're in a world that says, grab all you can, take all you can. He said, no, life's like dominoes. The one left with the empty hand wins. He said, the beauty is that anyone can play the game. You only have to grasp two principles. You must understand that at every play, you must match your companion's play. I like that, too. I would have used the word opponents right there. If you're playing against me, you're, you're my opponent. I like the fact that he just considered it a friend he's playing a game with, and he used a lot better word than I would have. You match your companion's play. If your companion lays a six, then you must match that with a six. The second principle is this. Success lies in giving out, not in hoarding up. The object with dominoes, just like with life, is to be left empty-handed. He said in dominoes, it's much better to give than to receive, just like in life. Dominoes teaches me to measure in life what I have given out, not what I've taken in. 
Success is not saving our pieces, but getting rid of them. Get rid of the highest numbers possible so that if you do have any left, when your companion runs out, you'll have only the smallest numbers left. Pretty cool, huh? 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul said in verse number 19, For though I be free from all men, yet I made myself a servant unto all, that I might gain the more. Unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jew. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without the law, as without the law, being not without the law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without the law. To the weak I became as weak, or became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Paul played dominoes. He matched whatever he had to match. Whatever it took to get in that person's world to reach them, that's what he did. He never forsook Christ. He never forsook his testimony. He just became whatever he needed to become to build a relationship with the Jew, the Gentile, whoever they were, that he might gain some, that some might be one to Christ. In the first half here in verse number 16, oh, I'm almost out of time. Let's get verse 16 in real quick. First half of verse number 16, he says, be of the same mind one toward another. That doesn't mean to conform to their way of thinking. That doesn't mean to conform to the world's way of acting. It just means that, that we have to make some allowances on their part in order to build this relationship. A perfect example is always, Jesus is always the perfect example. But the perfect example of, of conforming to people where they are, everybody knows a woman at the well, right? Everybody knows the reason the woman was at the well because she couldn't go in the morning time when all the other went because of her reputation. We learn about her reputation because Jesus said, I know, Jesus said, I know you're not married. You've been married five times. The man that you're with now is not your husband. So we understand that she has a reputation in that town. And we understand that she came in the middle of the daytime. There, there's a reason that she's out there when she's out there. But, but yet when Jesus talked with her, when Jesus met with her, when Jesus spoke with her, he treated her with the same dignity as when he spoke to Nicodemus, one of the highest-ranking Pharisees. He didn't show any favoritism, any doubt, any difference. He spoke to all of them with, with the same treatment. He was as charitable to the thief hanging on the cross as he was to his mother at the foot of the cross. Jesus did not show partiality. He loved all people equally. He was as patient with Judas Iscariot as he was with John. Judas sold him out for 30 pieces of silver, and he knew it. He sat up there in the upper room and do it in the Easter play. He sat up there in the upper room, and he told them you're fixing to do it. He told them one of you is going to. He knew what it was going to be. He knew the cost. He knew everything about it. He knew why, Jesus, why Judas came in that garden that night. He knew why he kissed him. He said, Judas, does thou betray me with a kiss? But yet he never disrespected him. He never treated him any different. Think about Malcolm. Malcolm came to arrest him. Peter cut his ear off. He healed the man that came to arrest him that hated him the same way he healed those that came to him to worship him. He didn't show partiality to the other side and show favoritism to the saved side. One side's redeemed. The other side's just not yet redeemed. He loves everybody the same. And that's what Paul is telling us here in this letter. We're supposed to treat people the same, be of the same mind one toward another. Then he says, mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceit. Boy, in today's world, it's all about self. It's all about me, 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 me. What can I get? It's all about get me something, give me more. It's all about recognition. Make sure that I get my little pat on the back. It's all about um, position. It's all about prominence if, if you narrow it down you just put it in one word it's all about pride that that's really what it comes down to 
It's all about self-pride. Self-pride has no place in Christianity. Pride and Christianity are opposites. We're all just sinners saved by grace. Hey, none of us got nothing to be prideful about except the blood of the Lamb of God. Everything that we have is because of Him. Nothing else matters. But pride gets all in the way of everything. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. You shall find rest unto your souls. Luke twenty two twenty seven. For whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat or he that serveth. Is not he that sitteth at meat, but I'm among you as he that serveth. There ain't no pride in that statement. John 5, 30, I can of my own self. This is the Son of God talking. This is Jesus Christ, the one that gave sight to the blind, made the lame to walk, made the deaf to hear, called Lazarus out of the tomb, said, I can of my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father that has sent me. Jesus, God in the flesh, but yet the greatest man that ever walked on this planet. If anybody had reason to be prideful, it was Jesus. But all we see out of Jesus is humility. And he says that we are to be like him. Be not wise in your own conceits. We, we see this expression. I'm going to have to just close up here. We, we see this used seven times in the Word of God. It's used twice in Romans, used five times in the Proverbs. I won't go into it a lot since we're out of time. But Solomon says that there's more hope for a fool than there is for a man who is wise in his own conceits. Isaiah chapter 5, verse number 20 says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. Boy, that's alive and well today, isn't it? God said, Woe unto them. He'll deal with that. Our job is to love them the same. Can I pause right there? We're going to be three minutes late getting the children out. Can I pause right there? If you're not praying, man, we've got a pathetic bunch in Washington. We've got a sick-minded bunch of group, bunch of people running this country. Sick. We got some sick people voted for them. If you voted for them, I'm sorry. If you're not praying for them, you're wrong. Every day, can you imagine if one of them would get saved? One of them. Imagine if one of them got washed in the blood, forgiven, and all things passed away. Behold, all things became new, and they turned. Can you imagine the stir? They'd get run out of Washington. But can you imagine the testimony it would make? See, I believe if enough of us would pray, there's got to be one of them up there that God can reach through the Holy Spirit. If one of those wicked ones got saved, can you imagine the difference it would make? That's our job. That's our job to pray for them. I don't even know what I saw that got me onto that, but let me go on back to what I was. Oh, woe unto that's where I was at. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. That's them. And put darkness for light and light for darkness. They put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. But verse 21 of Isaiah chapter 5, he says, Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Simply put, we're nothing special. Not in this life. But we're children of the king. Join heirs to the throne. Live in glory always and forever. Right right here, we're, we're nothing special. Those who think they are, they're going to be scorned of men, but they'll be unused by God. For those who will just surrender everything and realize that we're nothing but humble ourselves under the mighty hand and be everything that God wants us to be, there is no limit to what God can do through you. You, you can be used more than Moses. God says he's no respecter of persons. God can use you greater than Noah. God can use you 
like Abraham to show you, uh, he used him, call him out to a promised land to, to be a father of nations. That if God used them because of his own words, God can use you to do the same. What it takes is humility. What it takes is surrender. And, and with that is going to come not only love for, that we have for one another and here, but it's going to be love for all people the same way that Christ loved. I'm very thankful that Christ climbed up on that cross for sinners or wouldn't none of us be sitting here. Amen. God, thank you so much, Father. Thank you for this, God, this precious book, God, this love letter that you wrote to us, this teaching tool, this hand tool. But, God, with this word, Lord, we need more than reading it. We need more than hearing it. We need your Holy Spirit to teach us, God. We need, we need you to help us, Father. Lord, I believe that, that we're speaking in one accord. I believe that, that when I say it, Everybody in here is the same. We want to love people, God. Lord, we truly do. We want to love the lost. We want to love those that speak evil of us. We want to love those that hate us. God, we, we want the love of Christ to show through us. We want to be a light that, that puts darkness out of this world, that when the light comes on, there can be no dark. We want to be that, God. But you know how weak and frail we are, Father. I'm praying will your sweet Holy Spirit energize everybody in this place, God. I pray you'd do something in us. I pray you'd put something before us tomorrow. I pray you'd use us, God, to be a blessing to somebody, Father. I pray you'd show us somebody. Help us be an answer to somebody's prayer. Help us to be a witness to somebody lost. God, I'm just asking you to use us. We love you, God. You've been good to us. Lord, we thank you. We trust you with everything. We praise you with all we have. In the precious holy name of Jesus, amen.